0: Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started.
1: This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more.
2: The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Pope and Young podcast. I'm Dylan, joined, as always, by Tim Razuski. Tim got his camera working this week, but the overwhelming amount of comments from last week said, hey, we actually prefer not to see Tim's face. So, Tim. All right, uh, it's going out. (laughs) uh, You can take that as you will, man, but everybody was like, it's better when we don't see Tim. But, no, I'm just That is a true statement. We are joined by the brand-new executive director of Pope and Young, justin spring justin how are you man
3: good appreciate uh, having me on here dylan
2: absolutely well um from myself i've already told you personally but from myself and uh, i think i can speak for tim man welcome to pope and young and we are incredibly excited to have you on
3: no i'm uh, i'm super excited about the opportunity and you know
2: not official till
3: mid-october but yeah i I think i think it's all all positive and all good going forward and we have a lot of Cool
2: things we can do. Yeah, absolutely, man. I I was personally really excited when I when I heard that you had put your name in there. Um, I was very excited, and I I knew it would be a good fit. So I uh, I'm excited to see uh, what the future of Pope and Young holds, which is kind of what we're going to talk about today. But for those of you who don't know Justin, Justin, give us a, an introduction to yourself, man. Your background. Most people who are familiar with, with Pope and Young. Are familiar with Justin Spring, but uh, for those of you who are tuning in, Justin, give us an introduction to yourself, man, some background.
3: Okay, so yeah, um, my name's Justin Sprang. I'm originally from uh, Southern Oregon Coast, North Bend, Kuse Bay Area. I uh, have a degree, went to school in northern Wisconsin for um, natural resources and biology. Um, did a couple uh, wildlife fisheries jobs right out of school and then joined Boone and Crockett's records department as the assistant director in 2008. And have been with Boone and Crockett from uh, you know October of 2008 until this October when I will be coming over and uh, joining Pope and Young.
2: Now, what 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 made you choose Wisconsin? Being from Oregon, what <laughs> took you to Wisconsin?
3: Um, I uh, played soccer in high school, and I actually had um, a few different schools I was looking at. When I went on a collegiate visit there. It was about an hour and a half drive from the airport to the school, and we saw something like 150 deer on the way there and 200 <laughs> on the way back. And so I literally made my college decision based on the available deer to, uh, to chase in the off time.
2: <laughs> but you still went from Oregon having like all of this other stuff to hunt, elk and blacktail, and then just to Wisconsin, which is primarily deer, bear, turkeys. So you gave up a lot, though
3: yeah i I didn't I didn't. I mean I, I still still got back to Oregon a fair amount and I got to experience you know the the traditional deer camp of the Northwoods, um you know grout, grouse hunting, different different things that that we you know we'd never seen. Um, you know the Great Lakes fishing, Minnesota, the deer camps there. it, it was a, it was an awesome experience getting to see how other people you know hunted and you know i I took away from it. it turns out I don't like to sit all that much. I'm more of a hiker. I learned that pretty quick. But, uh, no, I, like I said, it was a great experience.
2: You know, I grew up in the Midwest sitting. And then I remember going out west for the first time. And and I told myself and all the guys I was with, I was like, you know, everything I've done up to this point in my life wasn't actually hunting. It was sitting <laughs> and waiting. Like, this is real hunting. And uh, they all kind of laughed. And But, I, you know, I see the benefit of both because whitetails is like a year-long chess match. And I yep. still love, I mean, white is where I cut my teeth. That's what I love. But white tails is a year-long chess match. But really, all the quote-unquote hunting is done before you're actually sitting in the stand. You know, you've done all your scouting, all of your, your prep work before you actually go hunting. Whereas when you're elk hunting or when you're bear hunting or moose hunting, whatever, the hunting takes place when you're hunting, if that makes sense. So I like them both. I mean, don't get me wrong.
3: No, the, the biggest thing is, I mean, even right on the on the Oregon coast, you know, it it, it differs a bunch when an animal's migratory. Um, you know, Montana, the deer and elk and whatnot, you know, they're they're moving constantly. Uh, but you know, even blacktails, they're they're more like a whitetail in my opinion. Um, you know, they they spend their entire life in one square mile. You know, talk about the chess match. I, I think it's I think it's very similar, and I think that's why you know. A lot of people, the first time they hunt whitetails kind of struggle the same as they do the first time they hunt blacktails. They don't really realize how, uh, how much home field advantages those critters have when you step in the woods with them.
2: You know, it's also different in the sense of like, because the deer that I hunt, you know, I've watched them grow up for four or five, six years. And I've got so much history with that deer. You know, they're named from birth. You know, you you name them when you start seeing forkies come out, and and you 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 have history with that deer. Whereas you know, a lot of times, and don't get me wrong, a lot of dudes have history with elk, and you know, just the, the world record we announced today, he had history with that moose. Um, but not as much. There's not as much backstory with a deer unfolding. You know what I mean? Like when I kill a deer, I can text my wife and say I just shot sticks, and she knows what deer I'm talking about because I've talked about it for four years now. And so there's just a lot of history there and a lot of, you know, time spent chasing those particular deer, that particular buck that you, that you've harvested. I
0: think Dylan would be surprised to find out how many blacktail hunters do the same thing. (laughs) Oh yeah. We're just, there's just, there's only three States to hunt them in and, and a province. uh, So we don't get as much exposure. I have several friends that name their deer. Um, I name them as dead or alive.
2: I don't name them. (laughs) That's good. So Justin, I want to address I want to address the 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 point of you're coming from Boone and Crockett and a lot of guys are, you know, you were the director of records. So a lot of guys are are oh he's just going to be records driven. But Tim and I both know you well enough to know that you have a a really big way of thinking about conservation and about hunting. And so what, you know, kind of what are you bringing to Pope and Young outside of records if you will?
3: You know, the, the biggest thing that, that I, I feel I'm bringing in, in a place that I feel Pope and Young has the authority to talk, but doesn't always necessarily take it, you know, the ethics and the fair chase side of of hunting and archery in Bingo. particular, um, you know, I've, I've been involved on the B and C side on our ethics committee. And I do, I do really feel like, you know, yes, everybody knows about the book I and mean, sorry, Tim, everybody loves records. I know, but at the end of the day, what's saving wildlife is a, is an ethical hunter. And a, a responsible conservationist. And you know, like I said, I, I think Pope and Young, with your history from the time that you have, definitely has the authority to talk on that. And I'd really like to see the club kind of lead the future. You know, we've got a lot of technologies coming out, and they're not all, you know they're not all bad. I mean technology can be a good thing, but you know, kind of a standard voice on as hunters, what's the public going to accept? You know what are what are people okay with us doing? What you know, what do people think is an honorable pursuit of, be it the blacktail or the white tail or whatever it may be and so i'm I'm really excited for that aspect of it you know it's a It's a national organization that that is the voice of bow hunters, you know, and then I think you guys as a group, and you know hopefully with, with me around we can we can really move the needle for raising the the perception that the average person has for hunters and especially bow hunters,
2: yeah. Well you know you and I have previously talked about how you know the NRA did a study on cultural acceptance of hunting outside of the hunting public outside of the hunting community and bow hunting is the most accepted form of of hunting if you polled non hunters bow hunting because you're 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 putting yourself you're limiting yourself. You're making it more difficult. You're you're leveling the playing field, if you will. Uh, it's it's more accepted than any other form of hunting, and you have expressed that you have this passion for new hunter recruitment, and so I think that's something that that Pope and Young can really uh, move the needle on if we do it correctly, yep. is new hunter recruitment because we are a bow hunting only organization. So to reach those those yep. of the non hunting community. Who would say, you know, I, I accept bow hunting. That's that's fine. I think we can really move the needle more so than than maybe any other organization on new hunter recruitment because we are bow hunters only.
3: No, I, I agree. I see the the R3 component of Pope and Young being a huge, huge path forward. Um, I've been involved in a couple oh collegiate level courses that BNC was was partnered on. And you mentored some new hunters that came in at college and watching them, a couple of them, they, they had zero desire to hunt unless it was with a bow. And, you know, I'm excited about that. I mean, if that's, if that's a way, if that's a barrier, the idea of a gun is, is too intimidating and a bow, bow brings them into the mix to be, you know, a supporting member of the conservation movement. Yeah. And I, I think Pope and Young has the opportunity to really harness that, that desire and that basically you know faction of the potential you know movement that that really i don't feel right now is is getting the attention that they deserve
2: and i you know i have my rebuttal i have my kind of argument to this stance but i'm i'm curious to know yours when when people say you guys invest all this money into youth programs and youth organizations to get youth involved in hunting when youth are never going to you're never going to get your investment back on youth, you know. A a ten dollar membership for Pope and Young, well, you got to sell a whole lot of those to make a difference as far as funding goes for conservation efforts. So, what do you say to those people who are, who have that mindset of why are we investing so much money into youth that we're not technic- like we're not going to get a big investment back on?
3: You know, I I think that there is some very credible criticism on some of the. The investments, I mean, you know, I've got an eight-year-old son. Is it really wise to put money into making a camp for him? No, he's, he already knows the thing. And so I do think that if, we, if we're smart with those efforts and we reach the right people, I, I think we'll get that investment back a hundredfold. Um, you know, wildlife is carried on the back of, of conservation dollars, hunting license dollars, Pittman-Robertson funds all this. And so if we don't replace that going forward, we're we're high and dry. So that $10 investment, I mean, that, that may be turned into a million dollar investment into a state game range for the right person in the future. So I don't think at all that, that you're not going to see a return on that investment. You just need to make sure you're investing well, like in anything.
2: Well, and it, it goes to our three pillars, preserve, promote, and protect. You know, we're looking forward to the future. Whereas, you know, if I create, say 100 new hunters that are 10 years old well then in 20 years now they're 30 years old and they are you know contributing to the funding of conservation efforts and so i look at it that way not necessarily yeah you're right if i pump a lot of money into gaining 100 new hunters that are kids you're right this year it's not going to pay me back but in 10 years 20 years 30 years Those are now hunters who are contributing to conservation funds. But I also tell people like this, if my 12-year-old daughter goes and buys a license, she's still contributing through Mm Pittman-Robertson and and helping fund conservation efforts that way. You're right. My 12-year-old daughter is not going to pump a lot of money into hunting conservation. But she's still buying licenses. She's still buying hunting equipment. And through Pittman-Robertson is helping fund conservation efforts. So it still benefits us as sportsmen to get kids involved. You're right. She's not going to cut a $5,000 check and say, hey, go help mule deer. Go help, you know, wetlands. Go help all these other whatever she wants. But through creating hunters, they are going to help conservation funds and conservation efforts. But we also have to look to it as a future investment.
3: Well, you know, and the other, the other side of that, maybe they don't, they don't take to hunting and they, they experience it a little bit and it's like, Hey, this isn't for me. That's completely fine. You know, there's not, not everybody enjoys everything, but the fact that that person was exposed to it at a young age, understands it, understands the ethics of it, understands the purpose of it. Even though they may not be a hunter, we have an ally every ally at the ballot box helps us going forward.
2: Yeah.
0: Education is education, right? We. We put our kids in K through 12, we're not gonna get them to cut a $5,000 check for anything. We're exposing them to criteria, to skills, and whether it's sports or arts, music, we're exposing them to things so that they can make decisions later, have the information and contribute to society, make themselves better and have an interest and and strive you know, for their goals. It's the same thing with, with youth hunters. Um, if the youth get exposed to it and they take to it, great. If they take to it, do they also get the impression, the importance of conservation at that time? Do they see their parent, their mentor, an organization doing things for the benefit of bow hunting and wildlife? And if they do, how do they respond to that? How do they act? I think that's the value of education. It's hard to put value as a dollar on any sort of education until you see the return. Remember when I was a kid, I was the future. You were the future. What are you doing now? So we had our exposures to hunting. What can we do as an organization to, to get bow hunting in front of kids? What fashion will that be? And what impression will they make 30 years from now?
2: We're, But we're also educating parents. We're also educating, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been educated by my kids on certain subjects where (laughs) my kid comes home and they're like, hey, dad, this, you name it. And I'm like, what? What is that? And they start telling me about it. I'm like, oh, that's, that's cool. That's neat. I didn't know they did that. You know, I didn't know. For instance, they do a gardening program for our, for our fourth graders at, at our local elementary school. And so my fourth grader goes through this gardening class, and then she's coming home literally educating me on gardening. And I'm like, I didn't know that you could do that, or I didn't know that's when you plant this, or I didn't know. Um, that's a perfect example. Through educating kids, they're going to go home back, like, Mom, Dad, did you know this? And they're going to be like, no, we we didn't know that's how bow hunting worked. We didn't know that's how hunters worked in general. Um, and you're going to be educating moms and dads through that as well. And so, you know, I think it's it's a win-win. For everybody, when we take off the blinders and say there's no instant return there's no instant feedback into the conservation efforts that we as Pope and Young or we as a hunting community are putting to putting forward um there's we have to take off that blindfold of of well what's the return what's the instant return of this because there is return long term and short term if we if we look at it.
0: I think I have another question or another side of that too is what are we doing that may be different than what the internet and tv is is presenting and and educating them on you know you only believe what you've seen and heard until it's been given to you maybe a different way or in a new way i think we see the influence of education and technology with the generation of bow hunters that suddenly boomed in the last 15 years, you know, you could say, yeah, we want to educate and we want more kids to be exposed to bow hunting, but I've got 50,000 bow hunters in Oregon that now they have to draw their tags when they used to have it over the counter. There's more bow hunters than ever out here. And so they're, they're almost like, yeah, we want less. Were they exposed in a way that was uh, like a Pope and Young driven or a, a bow hunters of America or a state organization? Was it a class or was it TV, the internet? And what they're learning and what they're now doing, is it in the guidelines of of ethics and, and what Pope and Young believes in? So is part of our education re-education? Good
3: question, Tim. I mean... It's it's hard for me to really pull apart where the the hunters that are getting recruited have come from and and where they're getting that information. I, I know I've talked to talked to people that maybe aren't hunters in an airport bar or something between a show or whatever. You know, oh, where, where are you going? Oh, you know, I'm doing a wildlife conservation. You start talking about that, the things that come up are not. Unfortunately, they weren't any of the organizations that that you'd like them to be. It's it's social media. It's you know, I heard this on the Joe Rogan podcast. Oh, that Cam Haynes guy, he's pretty cool. Um, you know, there there is a component to that, too. And then those guys have some tremendous power that I think could be great allies for Pope and Young as well. You know, um, it, it's a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, they, there's people getting involved that never were, but at the same time, you know, you have to draw a tag. I mean, I, I think that'll lead us into some some technology discussions, some crossbow discussions, some very good high level. Let's think about the future opportunity when we allow this method or this particular site or this particular recovery or, or whatever it may be. I mean, the simple fact is we have you know more, more and more people on the landscape. We have less and less wildlife habitat. Um, you know, there there's pinching forces. There's more people that want to hunt than there is elk to hunt. And look how long it takes you to draw a tag. So these are all things that can be addressed. It, nothing's ever left. One thing that we, we can see, you know, for modern technology is conservation, wildlife, none of this thing. I mean, you, you can't go buy a bow today and be deer hunting tomorrow. This is one piece of life that has to take some dedication, some time, some commitment. And we need to impress that upon some of these incoming bow hunters as well. Not that, you know, it's impossible, not that it can't be done, but this is not an instant gratification sport, nor is the wildlife that we so dearly love and are trying to protect. I mean, neither is their management. This is a a long game. This is a slow grind. This is very methodical and thought out. And so it's a great point. You know, how, how do we get some of these people that saw boat hunting on, on YouTube or whatever and say, Hey, I want to start that. How do you bring them into the fold without scaring them off? That Like, Hey, this is a five-year journey you're taking, taking on right now.
2: Yeah. Because everybody likes so, social media has, has hurt hunting so much. However, social media is also, as we have discussed, an incredibly powerful tool that we can use to show people the full process of what hunting truly is. But hunting has also hurt the process because like we've talked about, a lot of times all you see is that grip and grin. So people are like, I want to, I want to kill a giant bull elk. So they buy a bow, they buy a tag, they go out and they're like, dude, I've hunted for three years. haven't seen an elk yet. Like this is stupid. So many people aren't showing the full process. And by full process, I mean, Like you said, the five years that goes into even getting ready to do that. And then the amount of work that you put in to do it during the hunt. And then what happens afterwards, you know, showing the use of the meat, showing from field to table and and how that looks. So many people on social media only post the glory shot. So what do you think needs to change? We as a hunting community, what do you think needs to change to start educating people from the beginning about what hunting truly is?
3: You know, I think all hunters are going to hold a piece to this. I, I've heard the argument, oh, we shouldn't be posting anything on Facebook. You know, I disagree. I, I kind of pride myself on some people that I've known my whole life from elementary days that are, I wouldn't say they're complete, you know, animal anti-hunting but at the same time have a very different view on on animal welfare and animal rights than I do and I'm still friends with them on Facebook I kind of use them as a barometer to make sure what I'm posting on there is respectful I can tell do they like it do they not like it I mean did they unfriend me you know and I think as a hunter you always need to be cognizant of what those people that you're talking to whether you realize it or not or thinking about it. And you may not get as many likes if you don't have the hero shot of the giant 70-inch moose, you know, on the packboard or whatever. But at the same time, tell that story of the, of the trip and everything and watch those people and make sure that those people that aren't hunters are watching you talk respectful. And it's a hard thing. I, I think, you know, everybody can try to do it. Some people are going to be better than others. I don't think there's an instant fix all I don't think abandoning hunting photos on social media is a great idea. Um, You know, people have an opinion of you, Dylan, and then all of a sudden, oh, he killed a really nice deer and you tell a good story. You know, some of the other things you do are going to be tied together. Hey, maybe those bow hunters aren't all bad. And I think just every single hunter has that responsibility if they choose to use social media to make sure that they're telling a great story that's inclusive to everyone and, you know, beneficial for the group as a whole.
2: Because if we as ethical hunters don't show stuff on social media, the only thing that non-hunters see is garbage about hunting. Right. And there is no second voice. There is no second opinion. There is no, well, look at it done the right way. It's my biggest pet peeve when I hear someone say, well, yeah, there's going to be a bunch of blood in my photos. I killed it. Who cares what the non-hunters think? Or why do we care what they think? They don't even hunt. Well, you're going to care what they think when it comes to a vote. You know what I mean? You're going to care what they think when your rights are up against the wall and you want these people to vote hunting, pro-hunting. So that's, my, that's, that's the stupidest argument I've ever heard of, well, they don't even hunt. Why do we care what they think? Well, we well, need people. their support.
3: As we go forward, and I'm sure you'll hear more out of me as we talk about different topics of Pope and Young, but, you know, hunters are a minority. I I don't, don't you know, even if every single hunter in the country had the exact same ideal and we all voted the exact same, we still get outvoted by the 78% of folks that aren't hunters themselves, but support what we do. And so every decision we make, every play we make needs to be directed towards those 78%. It doesn't matter if every hunter thinks it's a great idea to start shooting howitzers, obviously that seventy eight percent won't like it that's That's our litmus test of who we need to be talking to to ensure the sport and the wildlife conservation the funding that we know continues into the future.
2: yeah, it's a good point, man. So go ahead, Tim. Well, I was just
0: going to ask. We're talking about the internet. We're talking about technology. We're talking about bow hunting um, from the Boone and Crockett perspective and, and just your perspective as an all around type hunter, Justin, what is your biggest concern in the hunting industry or in technology that bow hunters or an organization like Pope and Young faces?
3: You know, I, I a hundred percent think that our efficacy as hunters is our biggest enemy. Um, we, we have technology, we have equipment, we have all this stuff that is absolutely phenomenal. Um, we need to figure out some way to check ourselves because the, the easier it gets to fill a tag, the easier it gets to do this and that. <coughs> it's not good for our future. Um, One thing that I think is, it sounds funny, but one of the challenges that that ethical, um, thoughtful hunting faces today is some overpopulations of certain species of, of, of big game, that in areas, no matter what we do, we can't kill enough. How can you express to someone that, you know, limiting your success is not only more rewarding, but helps the species when there's... 300 white-tailed deer eating your rose bushes in a suburb of New Jersey. Um, You know, I I think trying to, the biggest thing we need to do and one of our biggest challenges is separate out um, wildlife that that can be hunted and and needs support versus wildlife that needs control. You know, how many people do we lose when a, a study comes out that says an overabundance of deer um, increases the prevalence of Lyme disease. You know, a family may never have cared about hunting or anything, but all of a sudden these darn deer bringing Lyme disease that their kids or their dog might get. Um, I think we, we lose hundreds of supporters when something like that comes out. I mean, you have people promoting, removing deer completely from the landscape to prevent disease. You know, those are the challenges we face today. We have great wildlife management, um, you know, agencies, the folks that work for them, everybody likes to, you know, talk trash. But at the end of the day, these are darn professional folks doing the very best they can to make sure disease is held at bay, that harvests are okay. They're researching this stuff. You know, they're kind of taking care of the the nuts and bolts. It's this public perception that we need to be very cognizant of and could completely bite us if we don't, you know, stay on top of it.
0: I think a key thing that you said there is that's really important is that there isn't one answer. There isn't one way to manage wildlife. You can go county to county and you could really face challenges that one solution doesn't work. Um, You see it like, you know, Justin, out here in Oregon, um, we have a mule deer problem. And you can go 200 miles away into another state and they don't have the problem. And you think, well, why is that? It's not a, you, the solution or the management isn't the same in Nevada, Utah, Idaho, and Oregon. And probably for good reason. Um, I think all the, all the things that we face or wildlife managers face, um, they look at them, they have to look at them differently. And I think this organization has to also look at, you know, we have... Members, but we also have hunters in one state that ethically, technological advancements, things like that, they have access to those maybe more readily or can use them more readily because of their situation. And it has to, uh, there has to be perspective. It, It amazes me when we were in Kentucky just a couple of weeks ago how they're telling me, Tim, we understand your stance on vertical archery seasons being separate from other weapons we need more deer killed we we need to give the hunter every tool possible because we need more deer killed and I'm this this guy from Oregon's going I can't draw a deer tag in five years and you need more deer killed
2: (laughs) yeah well I think that I think that comes down to educating people like and not just and I'm not saying you're ignorant to that fact you you know that but there's so many guys who who look at their where they want to hunt like man I haven't drawn a tag in 5 years I'm like well come to arkansas dude you know for 300 bucks you can shoot two bucks and six does like and a turkey come to come to missouri come to oklahoma all these are over the counter buy a tag and go kill deer we need deer killed and so i think so many people like just get fixated on their one little spot of like dude, i can't even draw an elk tag there's so many hunting opportunities across the united states where not only can you get the tag? We need you to come get a tag because we need deer killed. Like, so I think so many people just need to look at all of the opportunities there are to hunt these, these animals. But not only that, where is it beneficial for me to go hunt? So many people wait on an elk tag for five years when, in all reality, we need you to come hunt in Oklahoma or New Jersey or, you know, you name it. We need more hunters to come into these states and kill animals. And so I think that a lot of that comes down to education, which again, is where Pope and Young needs to step in and and be a louder voice for those types of things.
3: No, there's I mean, I agree completely, Dylan, and it goes the other way too. There, there is places that you get to the end of a hunt, and you know they need deer taken out, shooting that two-year-old buck. hundred percent can be a great management tool. There's also elk tags that if you draw it that's managed for an older age class, if you yeah. kill that younger bull. You're actually taking somebody else's, not only are you, you know, your chance the hunt's done, you're taking somebody else's chance just because you want to fill the freezer. You, you really need to know the state you're going into, the hunt you're signing up for. If it's, a, if it's a very limited opportunity, it's an older age class, 100% that's the time to trophy hunt and be ultra selective. If you just want to go out and shoot, you know, the first three deer that come by, there's places that that's needed. And so as an organization, we need to, to kind of break that down. There's nothing wrong with having a goal and spending 10 years or 15 years pursuing a, a trophy bull elk that you want to have that meets a certain number. Okay, we're not hunting for a number. It's a goal you're trying to reach it. Um, You know, at the same time, you just want to get out and, and take an animal with a bow, get a nice, close, ethical shot, maybe be able to make a couple mistakes here and there that, that you might get away with there's places for that too. So there's a, there's a seat at the table for everybody. And instead of criticizing someone for shooting a young deer, maybe they're actually being more ethical than you were for shooting that five point bull in the unit you had.
2: Yeah. Well, and that's why a lot of dudes don't understand that mentality. Like when somebody says, listen, I'm going in and I'm either shooting a giant world-class bull or I'm going to put that tag on a cow. They're like, what? Like why, why wouldn't you shoot, you know, the 300 that walked by or the 280 that walked by or whatever you chose a cow over one of those. Well, it's conservation. Like that was what that area needs. You know, that area needs me to either shoot a giant bull or put that tag on a cow. And so many people don't understand that, that way of thinking. Mm -hmm. So moving on to kind of the, what I'm really excited to talk to you about, because I think you have a, a really good grasp on this and a good um, head on your shoulders as to how to do this. What do you think the biggest misconceptions about Pope and Young are? And how do you think we as an organization moving forward can help rewrite that narrative and, and tear down some of those misconceptions? Uh,
3: the the biggest misconception is that, that it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a non-inclusive club. The people that I met, even before any of them had any clue if I was a bow hunter or not, they they didn't know I started that, you know, my first babysitter's husband was my dad's bow hunting buddy, and I shot a bow every day after our, you know, elementary school for 10 years. No clue about that. They were welcoming to me, just knowing I was a conservationist. And I think there's a place for people in Pope and Young that aren't bow hunters because of how inclusive that folks are. And the overall good mission. I think archery is a great thing. I think that the the side benefits of of ethical um, archery hunting, limited take. I think that that makes everybody that likes wildlife happy. And at the same time, when when these people that maybe have preconceived notions about open young realize that like, hey, this is this is a this is a group that would accept everybody. This is our goals. These are our missions. You know, I, I think that that's that's a great thing and a step forward. And you know, there's some absolutely phenomenal bow hunters that are associated with Pope and Young. So absolute rock star people. And I think they almost intimidate folks, but you meet those people face to face, they are amazing.
2: Oh, trust me, dude. I remember going into my first convention like being intimidated to to talk to these dudes. You know, Ooh. your Chuck Adams, your Jack Frost, your Frank Noska's. And then you meet them, and they're like, they're genuinely interested in the dough you shot last year. Like, they want to genuinely hear the story of that forky that you shot, you know, two years ago. Like, it's, it's, and, and that's the overwhelming consensus. Like, you hear people, they're like, this is my first convention, and I'll never miss another one because everybody was so welcoming. Everybody was so interested in me and, and what I've shot and what I've done. And that is the overwhelming story that you hear. But before you kind of break that threshold of getting into it, it is intimidating. And it is kind of like, well, those guys kill giants. Like, I'm not a part of that yet. I haven't killed giants yet. Listen, I don't care if you've ever even shot your first deer. I don't care if you've ever even hunted a deer with a bow yet. Hope and Young is for you. And, and that's what I hear. I, I hear that so many times. I'm like, well, hey, are you a member? Uh, dude, I haven't bow hunted in 20 years. I'm a duck hunter now. And I'm like, well, I haven't duck hunted in 10 years, but I'm still a member of Ducks Unlimited. Why? because i see what they do there's value in what they do i want to see duck hunting rights continue to 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 expand and and to go into the future don't you want to see that for bow hunting or do you want to see it go away like well yeah i don't want you to lose your rights i'm like then join pope and young like it's for everybody yep so um but how do you think that we as an organization moving forward can start to, to break down that misconception and reach those people. I I think a lot of it, and, and I'll give you my answer as, as the marketing director, that's my job to come up with the ideas. I think a lot of that comes down to, and you mentioned Joe Rogan, you mentioned Cameron Haynes, you mentioned, I think a lot of that comes down to educating those who are educating and teaching people that have that, that stage, that platform, what Pope and Young really truly stands for. That way, when it's mentioned, it's not just a, tied to a record or tied to a trophy or tied to a number, but it's tied to conservation. It's tied to ethics. It's tied to uh, preserving, promoting and protecting rights for bow hunting. And so I think, you know, being able to educate and and John Dudley was a perfect example The the our keynote speaker for last year, the first conversation I had with him, he said, nah, I'm not a Pope and Young guy. I don't care about numbers. I don't care about records. I don't care about size. And I had a 10 minute conversation with him, educating him about Pope and Young. Five minutes later, uh, a lifetime membership comes through the the office for John Dudley, and he was all in. And now you've educated somebody who's educating. And so I think that Pope and Young needs to focus a lot on that. Um, and I'm not saying that that's the end all be all. But I think that that a lot of times those people, you know, you talk about a Lee and Tiffany or a, a Levi Morgan, and they mention Pope and Young only when it comes to numbers or only when it comes to score or trophy. And so then that's the, the conception that everybody has about Pope and Young is numbers, scores, big animals. Whereas if you educate them, then they're talking about Pope and Young in its entirety. And people are more familiar with what we actually do and what we actually stand for and what we're actually all about.
3: You know, 100 percent, Dylan, the other the other story that, that I've never actually heard until I started from Boone and Crockett teaching, you know, the joint workshops with the Pope and Young history, the story of Ishii. And you know, hope and young, and where that came from, man, that ranks up there with some of the best conservation and, and, and wildlife narratives as I've ever heard. And I don't think that many people know that story, you know. And so maybe talking to some of these people, you know, that that lead in with Ishi and where this all came from, and and what the club was named after, and the, and the evolution of archery, you know, that brings people to the table that that have a whole different. Outlook on on um, you know where where we should be in the country where we should be in history. Well, this is what hunting was early on. This this came directly from you know a tribe in, in northern California. This is a pretty cool story and a pretty cool thing. I think all that stuff. If you know if we get that out there to the public, how do you not want to be a part of Open of
2: Stay tuned.
3: <laughs> I, I haven't
2: I haven't heard the speech, but I've been told that Chuck Adams did a speech on Ishi and the history of Ishi. Uh, a few years back at a convention and I was told it was mind blowing. I yeah. haven't heard him give it. Um, but the presentation apparently was just the best thing ever given. And so uh, in December, I'm I'm going to sit down with Chuck and film that um, that way everybody can see Chuck's presentation on Ishii. So um, that should be out mid December. So stay tuned for that uh, because Justin is incredibly right. That is a piece of history that once people are educated on, you know, It'll change the way you think about Pope and Young, about bow hunting in its entirety. But, you know, I think also to kind of rebuttal your your response there, one of my biggest issues with Pope and Young is we live in the past of what we've done. You should be a member of Pope and Young because we created your bow hunting seasons. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but what are you doing for me now? And I think Pope and Young just needs to do a better job. Which we are with our conservation spotlights and putting forward more of a, a putting a better foot forward as to educating the general public on what we are doing for you currently as a bow hunter. But I think that's what Pope and Young needs to have a, a focus on: is what are we doing for you right now? Because, as we talked last week with our our conservation chairman, on a biweekly basis, we are are going forward with some sort of of effort. Um, something's coming across our desk. And so I think we just need to do a better job of educating people as, to far, as far as what is Pope and Young doing for you right now to preserve your rights to bow hunt.
3: You know, and that's it's a, the it's a, it's a same challenge I face with BNC. Obviously, huge history there, but what are we doing today? I mean, that's our boy, Tim. You know, that, that's your records program. We can answer questions that people have today. How, how many records do you have currently, Tim? What's your total in the database?
0: Approximately 129,700-ish.
3: 129,700 data points that we can say, hey, from the beginning of archery seasons, what's changed? What's happened? I mean, that plain and simple. We need to do a good job of taking that data and making it useful for folks so we can answer these questions. But hunters also need to see that that data was started back in the day. And so that history is just as important as what we're doing today. It is the. I mean, it's bow hunting. It's a promotion of bow hunting. It's a promotion of conservation. And it's not. It's not a then or now. It's a. It started then and continues today. And then you know. Then we get to your point of you know everything that's been done gives you the opportunity to do what you're allowed to right now. It's September. How many people are bow hunting right now? You know.
0: I know of three of us that are not bow hunting right now. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you guys wanted to do a podcast on opening day of season here in Kansas. Dummies.
0: Well, you're doing it on my daughter's birthday, Patriot Day, 9-11. I well, am happy to be here.
2: And and I also, I said it when you guys asked if we wanted to do a podcast. I said, I'm not big on sitting in a tree when it's 96 degrees. So I'm fine with with missing this day. So, um, So, Justin, what do you think? Putting our best foot forward. And, and, and I'm not even talking Pope and Young as an organization. I'm talking Pope and Young as individual members. If you were to say, guys, this is something we need to do better as members of Pope and Young, what do you think that would be? You know, honestly, Dylan, I mean, I I
3: don't think I can honestly answer that yet until I, I get a little further down the road. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like I'm coming in with some pretty good ideas some quick stuff that we can do, maybe make a little money here and there. And, you know, I I told them when I was first talking about this position, I, I needed to talk to the memberships of Pope, the membership of Pope and Young and the board and see what, you know, what they want out of the club. And then, you know, when we identify these are the top three things we want to go to, then I can say as a member, here's what I think you could be doing a little bit better than we are now. So for right now, I I really don't know what that, that focus of the membership should be.
2: Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it comes back to exactly what you were saying is utilizing social media platforms better. And if you listen, it's like, I'm not an influencer. You have an influence. Like you, you have a reach, whether it's a hundred friends on Facebook or whether it's 2000 friends on Facebook or whether it's 20,000 followers, you have a reach and we need that reach. Like we need to reach those people. And so, um, you know, so many people just don't think, well, I don't have any kind of influence on social media. What what do I need to post about? You do have reach, you do have influence. And so, you know, I think that that comes down to um, you know, just yesterday I got a picture from Kurt Ebers, our president. And he said, Hey, do you think you can edit out this blood? And I said, Absolutely, I can. But that just having that mindset of like, I want to post this picture to however many friends I have, maybe it's only a hundred, but I want them to see a well-represented picture of hunting. And yeah, there's blood. We all know that, but we don't want the people who are going to immediately see blood and freak out that we're killing animals. So, I mean, just that little mindset of like, I want to post this and have an influence, but I want to make sure it's the best influence I can have. That type of thing. If we, as, as if every member would start to do those types of things And represent hunting the best way we know how. It could change Pope and Young forever. Well, and
3: that—I mean—that's every hunter, you know. Again, that's not just archery. That's that's every single hunter that hears this needs to put their best foot forward, you know. And that, like you said, you know, what what does the Pope and Young membership need to do? I guess I overlooked that whole thing because to me, that's just being a responsible hunter. I don't care what weapon you're you're going to the field with, be it spear or handgun or whatever. So you know, we, we've got some good things in that a hundred percent, you know, I've, I've always been an advocate of that. And, you know, if you ever catch me putting something on my social media, like, Oh man, that's a little bloody, you know, call out your friend politely. Hey man, I, why'd you post that. Oh, I didn't think about that. Good call. You know, that's part of it.
2: Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So Tim, as the records director, as the director of records, Obviously, like like we've mentioned, records is a massive part of what we do. It's a massive part of conservation. Um, how do you think we as Pope and Young can educate people as to your record is so much more than a, uh, 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 you know uh who's better than who competition and I need to put it in there for my own recognition. We need your your trophies because why?
0: You know, this this answer's evolved. Just in two and a half years. Um, I've always kind of cliche, oh, conservation helps with this, it helps with that. It it was greatly used and needed to show that bow hunting was ethical and, and efficient in taking big game and managing big game. But as I've done a few workshops with my new boss, Justin does an incredible job of explaining, and I'm sure his perspective is Boona Crockett's when he's teaching. But it's—I think it's just as valuable to Pope and Young specific um, members and, and followers um, in how he explains the value of the record. It's easy to say it helps conservation, but how? I'd—I'd um, I'd like to hear Justin it, in the way that you do in every workshop. You explain this, and I think the measures, the new measures, kind of—they all kind of take back and go. That—that that, they put that in their pocket as a tool that they'll use.
3: Yeah, I think what what Tim's getting at is this whole idea that we know that this county used to put out 10 Boone and Crockett entries every decade. Well, the last decade, it's only put out two. Do we know what the problem is? No. Do we know what the answer is? Not necessarily, but it acts as a barometer. The same in the opposite put, You know, we've only ever seen one entry out of every 10 years for this quarter of the state. All of a sudden, we've seen 15. What's changed? What's positive? Um You know, the end of the day, and I've said this numerous times, and it still holds true. World records are cool. The world records get attention. But the most exciting thing for me to ever see is a new entry come in from a county that's never before been seen. The same holds true for Pope and Young. A new new area that, you know, maybe there's never been a 125-inch typical whitetail taken, and we have a new one. Man, that's the biggest conservation success story, and we need to scream that from the highest mountains.
2: That's good. Well, I always tell people like this, too. You know, if in, if next year Kansas were to say, we're making it a two-buck state, the they're going to have to have something to go back and look at to say, okay, did our numbers go up? Did they go down? Are we producing bigger deer, more deer, better deer? Or are we going backwards? You know, were we putting X amount of trophies into Pope and Young then, and now we're putting in, you know, like you said, we're we putting in 10, now we're putting in one. So the state of Kansas can look at that and go, ah, maybe we should have done this. But if people aren't putting in their trophies, then your states have nothing to go off of as to what if what is working is is growing deer or not. Um, So that that's always going to been my response to that. I don't know if it's correct, but that's that's always what I've said to people.
3: You know, and and everyone doesn't. My biggest pet peeve is, is, you know, well, I've already got one in at this size. The rest don't matter. That's just as an important trend as it used to be. You know, Dillons County and you know wherever he's hunting, the average, you know, Pope and Young deer was 152. Well, over the last 20 years, that's dropped to 142. That's significant. And so just because it's not the biggest or whatever, every single one of those entries is a data point. And that makes makes the job of conservation and making sure that we have the most sustainable impact on populations. We're doing the best. Every single point helps. And even if you don't care if your name's in the book, that's fine. But that deer in that state needs that recognition to know if what they're doing is working or not.
2: Yeah. Put your initials. Like, yeah. you know, you, you, people who say, I don't want to, I don't want to be in the record. I don't want Put your initials. Like, that. that's fine. We, we don't care about, we don't care about having your name in there we care about having the data point for the deer in there now by all means here here's a reason that that i have told people another reason i'm like i want my dad to enter his trophies because when he's gone i want to still be able to look back at what he did as a hunter and celebrating that success because although he's gone although the trophies have been you know collecting dust and and maybe you lost him in a house fire whatever that data point And that still lives on in history forever. And I can show people, look at that deer. My dad killed in 2004, man, that was a, a really cool buck dude. Look at it's right there, you know, in the books and I get to have that forever. It's cemented in history. No matter what happens, that deer will always be there and be recognized. So that's a, that's a talking point for me as well. But Justin, what's your first, uh, what's your first hunt of the year, man?
3: I don't know if I'm fishing or hunting, but I'm currently pursuing alligators in South Carolina.
2: Oh, <laughs> well, maybe a little of both. You mean,
3: yeah, I, uh, I you
2: think can't say I'm, currently because you're sitting in an office right now. You're not on a boat.
3: I am in a VRBO in uh, South Carolina, getting ready to go out this evening. Cause turns out the alligators come out at night. <laughs>
2: Is there a Boone and Crockett category for
3: alligators? There is not because the hunting of them was never deemed a fair chase. The harvest tactics of them is a little bit um, different. They're also not a mammal. So the club has never put in a category, but uh. that doesn't mean that, you know, I, I waited three years and had a good friend invite me down to come check it out. We're having the time of our life, but it's I'm not, have not been able to procure said alligator yet. We've seen plenty and a lot of small ones, but the big guys still elude us.
2: Huh? Now, tell me the truth. Is that a little like on the creepy side to just see eyes glowing in the water at night? Like, does that get you a little bit like eerie?
3: Yeah. Uh, my eight-year-old, you know, we we motored up on the first one, and he looks at me. He's like, "We're in the presence of a killer." It is kind of fun, you know. <laughs> um, no, it, it's actually been absolutely amazing. And and seeing these alligators, it's it's similar to anything. The big ones, obviously, they're not dumb. And they see see you coming and they're like, we need to get out of here. The little ones that you come right up to them and it's like two feet off the boat. And you're like, oh, sure enough, four foot alligator, that's cool.
2: <laughs> so after your first uh shooting while fishing trip, what is your fir- your next hunting trip? Um,
3: we're actually going to, uh, my wife has an elk tag in New Mexico. And so the last week of September, we'll be down there and I'll be, be packing for her and hopefully watching her shoot a great big old bull. So
2: what unit did she draw?
3: It is a, uh, it is a, um, travel tag that she actually was able to get. Oh, wow.
2: I've heard from credible sources that your wife is a way better hunter than you.
3: (laughs) It doesn't take much, man
2: and that credible source is you (laughs) one time Tim I asked him I said dude you've got to meet a lot of people like who's the baddest hunter you've ever met he's like my wife by far and I'm like well that's cool he's like dude she's a straight up killer I'm like wow nice so she brings home the meat and you just get to carry around her her bag
3: yeah I just get to talk about it and you'll be all philosophical
2: that's awesome (laughs)
0: You know, one thing that I ask, try to ask every week and to you, Justin, I think this answer could be surprising. I don't know, but if, if tomorrow you could hunt one less animal with a bow, what would it be? Let's stick with North American, big game animals. One last animal. If, if you could only hunt one species with a bow again, what oh, would it be lord
3: you know i really like eating moose i'm always going to say then uh, you got to go with the biggest species of moose the alaska moose man
0: fair enough fair enough you okay, know but
2: here's but let the overwhelming, overwhelming
0: response is usually elk and i understand let me, why
2: let me rebuttal that response real quick though how many times can you can you moose hunt can you alaskan moose hunt in a year
3: well, technically, there's how many states with Shirus? There's Canadian moose. You could only hunt Alaska one year, but finances weren't an issue.
0: You could hunt them
2: quite a bit. Well, finances are an issue. I mean, <laughs> I didn't give you unlimited money to do this. <laughs> I didn't
0: put a money thing on my question. If you had one last hunt, Dylan, you'd want to hunt whitetails. I don't know why. But, but here's why. Most.
2: Here's why. Because I can hunt whitetails in like 74 different places. This year, whereas Justin's only going to get one moose a year, maybe, if he can afford it. So, like, dude, in a matter of four hours, I can be in five states. I can hunt Kansas, Arkansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, Texas, uh, Iowa. I can be to all these places and hunt. So if I only get to hunt one thing a year, I'm going to have to choose whitetail because then I can hunt a whole lot. I you
0: missed the question, Dylan. I did say if you could only hunt one thing a year, if you had one hunt left, in oh, what species would it be? Okay. It I may don't... be something you've hunted. It may be something you've never hunted.
2: Oh, no. If I only got, if you said you only get to hunt one more animal, you're only going on one more hunt, it's a coastal brown bear for me, for sure. Wow. Yeah. I thought you meant if you only got to hunt one species from here on out, what would it be? Coastal brown bear, then. Easy. It's at the top of my list. I don't. I don't know why, but it's at the top of my list. That's just what gets me a little bit fired up.
0: I think you need to go do that hunt and then answer that question again.
2: <laughs> well, then the answer would be different because I've already done it. Then it'll be something else. <laughs>
0: you may not like it. I don't know either.
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, so Justin, one question that I have to ask because nobody's gotten out of it alive. What's one non-traditional hunting item that you always have with you? Whether you're chasing moose or chasing gators, what's one non-traditional hunting item that you always have with you?
3: Oh, man. Honestly, the most of the times if I'm going in, I always make sure I have a hatchet. Not sure why there's better options, but that's the one thing that if I'm going anywhere, I feel like, the wheels come off and I have one thing to fight my way out of the wilderness, it's a hatchet. Maybe it's a stupid book I read as a kid. I don't know why. But that's that's my heavy item that I always have with me.
2: Do you have it with you now on the boat?
3: Uh no, my wife's here. She takes care of the hatchet.
2: <laughs> there you go. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, Justin, again, I'm just i I'm excited to have you on Pope and Young, man. I'm excited to be working for you and with you. And uh, I am incredibly anxious to see what the future of Pope and Young looks like. So, guys, as always, thank you for tuning in. And you guys have a fantastic week. All right.
3: Thank you, guys, and look forward to what we Thanks, got. Thanks, Justin.